1: This episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Bed, Bath, and Beyond Thunderdome, the everything store for all of your post-apocalyptic needs. Just because civilization has collapsed doesn't mean that your stylish sense of home decor has to. And remember, if you get ten punches on your Extinction Loyalty card, you'll get priority seating on the next armored tank out of town. Our prices are so low, you'd never know that society is in the midst of a widespread catastrophic freefall. Shop, bed, bath, and beyond Thunderdome, where chaos enters and impeccable style leaves. Patent pending.
0: 51,000 plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat
2: the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Swan, fly ball deep left center, them on the run!
0: 25 lighters on my dresser, yes sir, you know i got to get paid. High five ball, back to right center, and the Braves
1: have won
2: it. 25 lighters on my dresser, yes sir, you know i got to get paid. Swing and drive, back to right, welcome into the show. i got 25 lighters on my 25 folks.
3: Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero. This is Dylan Short. Joining me as always, Doc Herbert. Doc, how you doing, buddy?
1: I am fantastic. Are you having a good day, Dylan?
3: I am recovering from a late night last night. Doc and I were both at the game, unfortunately, where uh, it looked like we were going to have to charge the mound and, and get a little Philadelphia on the Phillies um, after, after Freddie Freeman took one dead in the wrist. Uh, before we get started and even introduce our guest, I do feel it appropriate to say happy birthday to my co-host, Doc Herbert, who has a birthday tomorrow, recording this on Thursday instead of our normal Wednesday because we were both at the game. So happy birthday, Doc.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah, when this episode drops, I will be a uh, technically a year older than I am while we're recording it. So this is uh, this is almost a legacy episode.
3: <laughs> we just call it a we call it the anniversary of whatever number you are right now. Um, then if you can hear the chuckle we are very very excited to bring our guest on this week because it's about it is finally time for us to really get into some of the draft talk so we brought in one of the best in the business is ben chase from over at call to the pen ben thanks for joining us today all right thanks for having me on guys first things first you're a minnesota guy correct
2: uh, South Dakota went to the University of Minnesota, but yeah.
3: So, twins guy, following the twins and all that. I'm assuming you're pretty, you're pretty deep into their system.
2: Well, yeah. L- well, yeah. I, I wrote for uh, Twin Site for Fan cited for a while, so yeah, I know their system very well. Yep. I
3: only, f- I feel it appropriate to go ahead and get this out of the way. I am a huge Wander Javier like fanboy. Oh. I want, oh him, I wanted him on the Braves so bad. I tried to come up with about ten different scenarios for the Braves to acquire him.
2: And I just don't think people understand that, Javier. There was a movie made about pursuing Miguel Sano. Javier earned the most money that the Twins have ever given out to an international prospect, more than Sano.
3: Is there, that, a, is there a reason I before mean, we get into the brave stuff? Is there a reason they're moving him to third base? Because I thought he looked fair. I thought he looked good at short.
2: Uh, Really, right now, the biggest thing is uh, just look at the twin system. Um, Severino has taken,
3: which... Thanks for uh, reminding me. uh, I love you and your Severino. I was so upset when uh, he was gone.
2: But he showed, showed up and had worked his butt off all winter with some defensive coaching and is looking like a legit shortstop. He is playing, you know, Javier has by far has no problem with the arm, but they also have Lewis, Royce Lewis, who number one draft pick last year, he had questions about whether he would stick it short, showed up, was first guy in, last guy out type of thing all year, or the whole time he was in the GCL, went from a guy who people were questioning about his ability to stay it short to where there's a lot of twins people who say he's right now a borderline plus shortstop right now. And, the biggest thing that he's got is just that make the decision when you grab the ball and you should put it in your pocket. Well, any 18, 19 year old guy in pro ball is still making that decision. If that's his biggest issue, he's really come a ton as far as being a shortstop. Then above them, you have Nick Gordon who they sat down in double a, uh, mainly because they wanted to have some extra depth that, um, at AAA, just in case they needed help after they found out that uh, Polanco was going to be their starting shortstop was going to be gone for 80 games. Uh, so they kept around a few of the guys that they had brought in kind of just to see what they could get out of them in spring. And they kept more of those guys than I think they intended to, which meant that there wasn't room in AAA for Gordon. So that kind of bumped everyone down a level. And there were a lot of people who thought Lewis would jump all the way up to high A and be a shortstop. Javier would be at low A to open the season. And, you know, then Severino probably would be at extended and then opening with um, their Epi League team at shortstop.
3: I'm I'm so disappointed that Severino's gone. Whether Whatever he ends up on the defensive side, you guys are going to absolutely fall in love with his bat. He hits the ball well, so hard.
2: I just, you know, I've told, I'm trying to tell Twins fans, that, and I put this out to uh, when people were talking about all the money that they had and, you know, they wanted to go after Maiton. You know, really, to me, Severino was the number one guy you wanted to get. And I said, I, I get, I get the the amazing talent Maiton had, but Severino, I think was way underpriced. I think he's shown out ever since he signed and showed up. That guy is worth way more than what he got signed for, and it showed. He got the highest bonus of anyone in that group that got let go. And you know, I think what's really interesting to see is you know the royals signed a pair of them and almost no one talks about Juan Carlos Negret and they gave him a pretty decent bonus
1: yeah he and, wasn't one of the really heralded names once uh like once they were because everybody knew about Maitan, everybody knew about Severino and and Jeffrey yeah, but, yeah uh, again, Rosario Negred came on a lot la- towards the end of uh in the last summer
2: and he's a guy who, you know, Cuban guy, really raw, but it sounds like there's a lot of people who really like him defensively in center and has a lot of that raw ability to possibly be a leadoff guy, which, you know, there's, there's always going to be someone who wants that. And then of course my, the other guy who I'm really sad to see go is, is Soto because God, I love that guy's glove. There's,
3: there's Talking there's about Levan Soto, about,
2: yeah. There's just something about a great defensive shortstop that is fun to watch, and you know, I my still by far my favorite uh, Braves player of recent memory is Anderson Simmons.
3: Yes, and I'm still. I still cry about that every once in a while, especially when I see him make a highlight on the Angels. As a matter of fact, I have adopted the Angels as my number two team simply because they've become Braves West, and because I have a huge man crush on Shohei Otani as well.
2: Yep, I actually I just did an article recently about whether or not the Angels are are the most watchable team in baseball with Trout, Otani, and Simmons on the same team. It's not fair. I, I mean, I don't. I mean other other than you know whoever your favorite team is you know for me I love the fact that they're west coast I get done watching the Braves every night I turn on turn on the Angels you know that's it's great I can always catch about five innings of that game and usually see something that I'm just like dang it that's fun to watch
3: so the best part about Angelton is it's every single game that he makes one of those gems it's not like a sporadic one oh, week he makes yeah. a great play it's literally Every game, he makes a play that no other shortstop in the league is making.
2: Yep, and that's yeah, I miss it. Is it too <laughs> I, is I it really too
3: do. early to put him on on the the front list for best defensive shortstops ever?
2: If you look statistically, he's actually getting there, it, which is really incredible to wow. think about. I was playing around with some defensive run save stuff and decided to just see what. You know, which, of course, you can't really perfectly measure that going back because obviously we don't have all of that type of data in the right way in order to measure, you know, exactly what, you know, a shortstop in 1920 was doing. However, you know, he's where he's at right now ranks up there pretty well and is actually better than a lot of Hall of Fame shortstops.
1: You think he winds up in the Hall of Fame? Just, just on defense alone. I mean, one of the one of the big things is on a resume. You, you know, you need to have a World Series and uh, and some level of hitting output. Now he's improved as a hitter a lot since he since he went yeah. out west. But just on defense alone, I mean, if Ozzy
3: Smith. Luis Aparicio. There there's precedent yep. for defense only guys to get in. It's my same it's my same argument with Andrew. Like you can't tell me that Andrew didn't hit well enough when you've got Luis Aparicio and you've got Kirby Puckett in there yep. who weren't as good as these guys offensively.
2: I would I would say he's gonna have to do it for a while. That's the thing that with a lot of those stud defenders is they did it for ten, fifteen years at an extremely high level. But he's what six years into that already you know that's it's not like he's that far away from that discussion
3: and as, as a as a former shortstop myself and has played a little bit in college that watching him field and watching because he's not the fastest shortstop but watching his instant oh no. he gets a jump off the ball at shortstop the same way andrew didn't center and it is just unbelievable to see. The way that he instinctively knows to take the perfect angle every time and the cannon of an arm, it, well, it makes me giddy.
2: And the thing I've, I've pointed out to people who want to say, well, geez, it doesn't look like he's doing that much. I said, well, no, because if you watch his feet, his feet are never in the wrong spot when he stops moving. That is what is always incredible to me. When he stops moving and Grabs the ball, he is always in perfect position to get a good plant foot,
3: and you can't teach that. It's just instinctive. No,
2: that yeah, that's just that's what's amazing. I mean, yeah, he can have that great range, he can make amazing plays, he can jump and dive and do whatever he wants, and have a cannon for an arm. But to have that perfect ability to plant, have your plant foot, so you can direct yourself towards first base, that you can't teach that. That's a, that's an incredible instinctual skill.
3: And we're going off field here by talking about teams that aren't the Braves. Uh one last note. <laughs> one last note. You you are aware that when Derek Jeter gets inducted first ballot Hall of Fame that he will be the worst defensive shortstop and maybe the worst defensive uh, player in the Hall of Fame.
2: Oh man. I you know there's so many things about Derek Jeter that I really like as a ball player. But man, I wish there, that he would have been
3: a second baseman.
2: I wish he would have been willing to move, because everything that has ever come out now, you know, if somewhere someday it comes out that you know he actually went to the manager and said, "I want to move," and somebody said, "No, no, no, you are Derek Jeter. We can't move you. The fans will riot." That's a different ball game. That is never ever been said by anyone and by now there's been enough people that have talked about it that you would think somebody would have leaked that and to me you know at the time that he came to the yankees alex rodriguez as big as he was
3: was a better shortstop was,
2: oh yeah i mean he was a when he, he was winning gold gloves because he hit 50 home runs but he
3: was, he was a legitimate a, short
2: Yeah, he was a legitimate contender for the Gold Glove. He may not have been the best defensive shortstop every year, but he was a legit guy that should have been in that conversation. My real
3: real question is, if Derek Jeter didn't play for the Yankees and win all those World Series and be the captain and be Mr. October, would he be a first ballot lock?
1: I
2: think, you know, when Maurer recently got his 2000th, I went and did a lookup of guys, and I think it was in the last 40 years, it might've been the last 35, something like that, the hits. And Teeter outpaces everyone by 500 hits. I mean, that, that is significant. And say what you will about whether or not a, you know, a 3,000 hit total is, is important. Being healthy enough and productive enough to have 3,500 is a pretty big deal.
3: I I don't disagree. It could also just be that I hate the Yankees a whole lot.
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't have an issue with that whatsoever either.
3: We always called him Derek Cheater growing up just because, yeah. you know, Braves in the 90s and I was a born in 91, so we were we were not fond yeah. of Cheater. Um but yeah. <laughs> getting into the Braves here, we brought Ben on because he is one of if not the most tuned in as far as the MLB draft goes. And for a guy like me, who is so far beneath Doc and yourself, this is where I'm going to try to not sound like a total idiot. Um, <laughs> I've been maintaining. I don't want to see the Braves take another pitcher. And I can make the case for guys like Matthew Libertor or even Kumar Rocker or Shane McClanahan or or you name it. I'm not a big Brady Singer fan, and Doc and I have talked about this in person and on the show, just too violent of a delivery for for a guy like that who I think is ultimately a reliever. Um, but I am in love with Nander DeSantis, and the crazy thing now is he went from being, like, number eight on everybody's preseason list to he's not in anybody's top 50 right now. What happened with Nander DeSantis?
2: Um. I think there's a, for one, he is one of the older guys in the high school class. That's always going to ding you. I believe he's already 19 right now, or he will be 19 in May. Um, that's always going to ding you when it comes to draft time. Um, he, so, I mean, that's one of the deals. The other is simply that his spring from... What I've been able to find, um, the guys at 2080 Ball are tremendous with getting video up. And they've had more than one guy who has been able to see him and get some video on him. There are not two days he has the same look at the plate. And that isn't a good thing. And I think that's a big issue that's going on right now is he's just not been given a consistent look to people. So, not that he doesn't have the skills there, it's just that when your approach is just a little different on Monday than what it is on Wednesday than what it is on Friday, the scout that actually saw all three is going to go, wait a minute. And I think when he showed up and he was doing a showcase in the summer and showed out really well for you know just a short period here, and then he went to this other thing and showed out really where, well there, a lot of times it was a scout who saw him for a couple of days there, and then he did something over here, and then he did something. So you might have different eyes, or even if it's the same eyes, there was enough time in between to where they didn't notice as much of that inconsistency and frankly the summer video on him you don't see that much inconsistency comparatively
3: i just love everything about him at 62190 uh he if you look at his perfect game stuff which is where you know that's one of the few things that's pretty accessible for everybody every yeah. everything yep. in the perfect game ratings which is not nothing by the way the the perfect game showcases they are very, very in depth, and, and it's not just a, a fly by the seat of your pants thing. They take that stuff very seriously over there. Uh, they got a lot of former scouts and a lot of former players who who are involved in that. And to say his, his lowest rank, his lowest rating in any of them was like a ninety two point four percentile. Like, yeah. He's fast, he's got a monster arm, very smooth, at short. The only thing I read on his defense was sometimes he's too showy, which is something that I kind of expect from an 18-year-old at a showcase. Um, I went to a few of those in my day, and with the amount of people that are there, you always try to do something to show out a little bit and, and make them take notice of you. But man, for a switch hitter who comes from the same school as Francisco Lindor, he was getting Lindor comps or people saying that he had... It, I remember the first thing I heard about him was watch out. He may have Carlos Correa tools.
2: And that's it. You know, and in my, I put up today, I put up a kind of a, just a quick preview on um, college and the high school class. And this is, you know, I haven't gone in depth and talking to, you know, the people I chat with a little bit on draft and things like that. the, Reports that I had and that I read and kind of combined everything together. I had that he's got mixed reviews on his range. Some people said he's a plus range. Some people said he's got future plus range, but right now the footwork isn't there and so they were saying, you know, he might need to move to third, which he's got the arm for it. That's not an issue, but that changes his value scheme, you know? And so I, you know, I, I like him, he's a, he's a heck the thing this year. There is, I cannot tell you that there is a guy who is just sticking out and going, Holy cow, that in the high school class, that is the guy you would want to draft. However, there's a whole lot of guys that I could go that guy would make sense in the first round.
1: This does seem to be a, a really deep draft and a lot of a lot of quality talent. It's it doesn't seem to be quite as eye popping up top, but once you start getting into guys in 30, 40, even like down into the 60 range, there's going to be a lot of talent really really deep in this draft. And oh, yeah. when you lo- and you look at a guy like DeSantis, I mean, even if he's He's got the tools to make it. So, but he might, he might fall in the sandwich round, the comp pick somewhere around there. But I mean, if he's, if he's got the tools and he just needs somebody to help him refine his approach a little bit, I mean, he could, he could still wind up being a pretty monster talent, even if he's got to move over to third. His, if he can find that level of consistency.
2: Yep, yep, yeah. He's he's a, you know, and he is one who, you know, with the national high school invitational recently happening. There's a few guys who really showed out there, and um, the one that anyone I talked to is talking about is Jordan Adams, and nobody thought he was going to even enter the draft. You know, with the new CBA, they actually uh, players can actually withdraw themselves completely from the draft and say that they do not want to even be selected as a 39th rounder and offered any token money. Um, he was considered one of those guys that very well might just go to college because he's a legit, I think he's a, maybe a...
3: I was going to say, is he a top a, wide receiver prospect?
2: I want to say he might even be a four-star. I mean, he is a legit three- or four-star wide receiver, and his dad coaches at UNC. So they're pretty – and I mean, he's committed there already. It was pretty much a done deal that he's going to go to UNC. He's going to probably play both sports there. But he had such a loud showing at, at the high school invitational. There are people talking about him as a very possible top-ten talent, which if he goes there, he could end up not at at college. And he has got the – Physicality to have power, like big, big power. It's still very raw, but man, can he fly. He can absolutely fly and really play defense all of that whole entire showcase. So he he really moved up a lot of people's boards. And there's, I saw a couple of places where among high schoolers, he was rated in the top uh, five or top 10.
1: That's crazy. He's that's yeah. he's like the very definition of kind of a pop up guy. I mean, he wasn't.
3: Oh yeah, Kyle Lewis. He hasn't high been on any
1: of these lists that have been coming out except for the last couple weeks. It's like uh, it's almost Austin beck in in the way that he's just kind of showed up out of nowhere.
2: Oh yeah, well, same state. There you go. You
1: know. Yeah, yeah. Beck had a little bit more of a track record as far as being a, being an actual uh, baseball guy, but I mean, yeah, yeah. Adams was. The list that came out, he was 50th on Keith Law's list. He was 33rd on FanGraphs. So uh, I know Pipeline is due to drop their their list coming up here pretty soon. So and uh, and of course Ben Ben, you've got your your list coming out out as well. I would assume that uh, that Adams will uh, will be on there. Will can you give us a little teaser? Will he be in the uh, Will he be in the first round of your of your mock coming out?
2: I am not sure. I have to look at you know I I. To be fully honest, I I couldn't tell you what the comp rounds and the the CBA rounds as far as their orders are because he is the type of guy that I think a team with good comp round picks could really make a move on. I could see him being a Rays or Royals pick because
1: yeah.
2: they could offer him some good amount of change. And even if they got him in the thirties and he convinced him to go or stay away from school, which that'd be a very impressive athlete to bring into either one of those organizations. So
3: maybe you guys can tell me if this is just the amateur in me who hasn't paid enough attention to the baseball scouting uh, but it, it seems to me like this is kind of an upside down draft where generally it's the high school kids that are blowing everybody away and you go your, your one your one ones and 1-2 one and, and all that stuff seems to be the high school guys. It seems this year that it's kind of gone the opposite direction that a lot of the high school guys who they thought were potential one ones like Ethan Hankins, uh, potentially Kamar Rocker, Matthew Liebertor, who we talked about, uh, Bryce Terang, have started to fall just a tad and it's the college bats the college guys who are really stepping up and really making their mark on this draft
2: that that last part you just said that is what is unique typically a college more of what is going to normally happen is you will have guys if they come out with a preseason list you'll see a preseason list that almost always has a college guy at the top or very near or you know out of the top 5 at least three year college. And usually one or two of those guys falls off over the course of the spring due to bad performance. You know, your A.J. Pucks, even Kyle Wright last year struggled out of the gate. Um, Guys like that fall off right away, and you see those rankings start to shift around a little bit. And usually it's the high schoolers that then jump up into those spots. That's not it this year. This year it seems like, for one, there's not really a high school that's done that jumping other than Kalanick out of Wisconsin, um, the outfielder out of Wisconsin. He's about the one guy who has jumped into a like top-five discussion who wasn't really there before the spring. And other than that, the, all the other guys who have really jumped up have all been college, and it seems like all been pitchers or else sluggers. There's not been a, a slick-fielding shortstop or a – a standout defensive outfielder or a really good catcher that has suddenly gone, Hey, I should be in the top five picks. It's all been arms or a guy who's just beaten the snot out of the ball.
1: Yeah. Alec Bohm is a, uh, that oh, guy who yeah. was, I mean, Janista Grayson Janista was the guy at Wichita state who was getting all of the uh, getting all of the love out there. And then he's kind of, he hasn't, he hasn't regressed horribly, but he hasn't really done anything to to keep himself incredibly relevant. But Boehm, I just has been, like you said, he's just kind of been hitting the hitting the snot out of the ball. So he's he's starting to get some top five consideration. Uh, Joey Bart out of out of uh, Tech is that's one what I was that's about kind bring of starting up. to. He's he's jumping forward a little bit, but now what we're seeing, and correct me if if I'm wrong here, Ben, but like you get all these preseason lists, you know, we, we've heard about Brady Singer. So, you know, the last couple of years, AJ puck and uh, all, all of these guys that have, that have come through Florida's system. There's always like the next guy up for the next year. That's what Brady Singer has been. And now it's Tyler Dyson, who is everybody's looking at for next year. Singer is starting to fall. Ethan Hankins had his shoulder trouble. He's starting to fall. Shane McClanahan. He's like, it's, the sample sizes are now big enough to where they kind of mean something so things are kind of sorting themselves out a little bit yeah so now now is when you can start to actually make a mock and and say this is a little bit more realistic and you can look at team tendencies and um just what what teams are are looking for to kind of supplement their farm systems and that's you know i I
2: love doing mocks, but there's a reason why I usually wait until at least mid-April and with, you know, life and and uh, the new role I have with Call to the Pen as one of the editors and everything else, it just made a lot of sense just to wait till the end of April this year. And, hey, that still gives me five weeks of mocks before we have a draft, which there's still plenty of mocks right there um, to write up. Um, but, yeah, that's there's going to be... A ton of movement, I think, even even at that point. Because um, one of my co-editors is, he covers Missouri State. And, you know, he's talked about how Iron, Jeremy Ironman from Missouri State started off the season where he was hitting well, but not showing all of what he can do. And the ball sounds different off his bat right now. He is just... He's squaring everything up, and it even when he hits a line drive to the gap, the ball is just smoked. And a guy like that is on a good enough team where he could get himself to Omaha, put on a good showcase. And or I mean, Omaha is after the draft, but still, I mean he could get himself into the World Series a couple rounds, get some extra playing time, where teams are going to see more of him really performing well whereas that high school guy is going to be done in early you know in depending on where they are early may to you know early june and then teams basically are done being able to see them live and he's going to still have that opportunity to continue improving the live views on them and and he has continued to progressively get better
1: I know that Ironman was, was one of the guys that you had your eyes on for a little bit, Dylan.
3: Yeah, it was. I, I Like you're talking about, I, I love... and I just started really getting into since uh, they've been playing a ton of college baseball games on the Watch ESPN app, uh, and since I, I care much more about sports than actually doing my job while I'm at work, I'll turn on one <laughs> of those games. Uh, and I Like you're saying about Ironman, it, it just sounds different when it comes off his bat. Now it is metal, of course, and I say that facetiously. Yeah. So it always... A lot of guys sound great with metal, but... Ironman's has a, a different sound. It's a different follow through the way that he follows through. Uh, he, he does such a great job of barreling the ball. And I haven't seen Missouri State lately, so he, he might be even he might be doing even better. I liked him even at the beginning of the year, just from from his swing path and the way he was going through. He has a ton of power, even if he wasn't a, a big loft type of guy. And I don't think I wouldn't categorize him as a huge loft in his swing, but no. he doesn't need it with the pure bat speed and his propensity to barrel up in the correct places.
2: Yeah. That kind of that pre 2017 Altuve line, the 40 doubles and fifteen twenty home runs, you know, before Altuve kind of went nuts and hit
3: 37
2: high twenties or whatever he hit last year. But that, that 40 doubles and 15, 20 home runs, I think that's a, le- a legit ceiling profile for what Ironman can do with the... I mean, it's it's really, it's on a line power. I He has got such a good contact swing with that swing. It, there are guys that it's okay to teach that loft to, and that's one of the things that a lot of people gloss over with this, you know, the the uh, launch angle revolution fly or whatever ball you revolution. want to call it. Yeah. and, and, you know, and I, I did an interview with the guys at Driveline here last year and the guys flat out said, he's, you know, not everyone gets their best swing by swinging uppercut.
3: Do you think, but Does like Ozzie Albies seems to be that type of guy who has taken to a lofted approach in a swing and it seems to be paying major dividends where he's an oh, extra yeah. base hit machine now.
2: Yep, and and that's you know there are some guys that do well with that. Some guys, almost every bat plane, the because the ball is coming down at an angle at you, you need to be coming up at an angle at it. That is why the always the swing down at the ball has never made any logical sense. When a ball is coming from a mound that is up high, it is coming down. The physics of it is the ball is coming down. If you are swinging down at it you are not generating the most that you can out of that ball. That's just what it is. But if you're hitting that ball with a slight bit of an increase in plane, you're going to hit a ton of line drives if you have the right about amount of bat control. And Ironman is the type of guy who seems to always get the best part of the bat on the ball, even on the inside. It's crazy how he can put the barrel on the inside part of the plate. And so, I mean, he's one that, to me, he's he's the type of guy that could kind of end up where uh, Logan end up ended up last year, you know, kind of falling into that 20-ish range in the, in the draft. But I think somebody's going to be really, really happy with him in that range.
3: Defensively, is he good enough to stick it short, or is he going to have to move?
2: You know, he's one... He's one that I think has he's got the hands. He's got really really good reads. He's going to have to be a guy that maximizes all of the instincts, the positioning, the, all that stuff because his range is really average if not a little below.
3: So Johnny Peralta basically.
2: That's a, yeah, that's a, that's a good example. And you know, and Peralta had some years where he really was a positive defender. He had some years where he was a horrible defender. (laughs) But he had some years where he was actually a positive defender because he you know, when he wasn't always you know, wasn't injured, which, you know, was maybe one year of his career. But, you know, when he wasn't injured, he could really he had very, very good instincts at the position. He seemed to always be in the right position when the ball was hit and take the right first step. That's a huge, huge thing for a shortstop if you don't have that range.
3: So if it were up to you, where would the where would be the Braves best interest in this draft? Would it be pitching? Would it be uh, a hitter and and where would you personally go? Who's your guy?
2: See now, my guy, I kind of have a guy in the college and in the high school ranks and neither one of them probably is going to be a guy they're going to want to grab with their first pick. Um but probably be a guy that they that I would love to see him target in the second round. Um, so I'll go I'll go with that first and then come back and loop around to the first round target. But on the college side, I love Jamison Hanna of Dallas Baptist. Um, and he really fits a profile that um, well, I mean copy did this too, but A lot of GMs do it and have that desire to have a guy who is young for his college class or young for his high school class. Not every GM actually goes out and makes those picks. And Anthopolis, when he was in that role, did that. And Hannah is one of the youngest college players in the draft. But yet, oh boy, does he have some fun power speed. Um, And if he can... He's really shown this year that he can take a walk. Right now, there's some questions whether it'll be 230 with a you know a 330 on base, and holy cow, power and speed, or if he can develop enough offense that it'll be or enough contact that it'll be 260, 270, which would really make him a hell of a player. But the he is one that, he, he, just watching him, he is, he's darn near like watching a high school player. There's so much raw talent there that is still left to be tapped. And you just don't see that out of a college guy.
1: Well, he's kind of a smaller guy, too, right?
2: He's not huge. I, I'd have to pull up his, his dimensions, but he is, he's not huge by any means. But boy, does he generate just surprisingly big, big
1: power. Um, hey, I mean, if if there's anything Ozzie Albies has taught us, and and Altuve, we're just talking about Altuve, is that it's um it's not necessarily related to, to how big you are we, so are. we talking Chris Davis
3: power? What's that? So we talking Chris Davis power? Um, because he's a little guy too. He's like five nine.
2: Yeah, you know that. I think he's well. I, for one, I think he's more athletic than Chris Davis. Uh, are you talking Chris with a K?
3: Yes, from Oakland.
2: Yeah, I, I think
3: he's he's the type of, he's going
2: to play defense in the outfield. Um, but as far as what his offensive profile could be, I could see that. I still think he's going to walk just a touch more, but that could be a very legit profile for him to be thought about. So, because he's got that ability to just generate off the bat that you just. Wow, you know, how did that leave that? How did that just bad? go four fifty? Yeah, it was just all of a sudden the ball's over the fence. You're like, Well, that didn't look like he was hit that hard. Okay. Um high school side, you know, this is there's gonna be some he 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 was on I don't I don't know that he ever necessarily broke Braves Hearts, but the son of David Weathers, um, Ryan, is a left-handed pitcher out of Tennessee. And he's one that I really like just because I'm a big fan of guys who are standouts in multiple sports. And he is a very good basketball player, probably not a B1 college basketball player, but could probably play some lower level college basketball, but left-handed, very, very good control of his body. Um, So yes, a pitcher, but still left-handed, fastball that can get into, you know, 97, 98 range and really has a good feel for, uh, his change. And then throws, he can shape his curve in two ways, which is really impressive for a high school kid. He can throw a hammer or like a hard curve and he can put the looper out there as well. So that's, that's the two guys that I are my favorites. Now, who should they target? You know, no, all I really think as stacked as the upper levels are right now, you've got to target a high school kid, I think.
1: Yeah, I think, I think you are absolutely right.
2: I mean, there, there's no reason to get a guy that's going to move quickly because, I mean, right now, the, the biggest issue you have with AA and AAA is there are five legit starters at both rotations. The you know the stinking lineup is so stacked that you can't get a lot of the well for sure catching you know what would you do with Joey Bart in the system?
3: yeah, that's a little bit depressing yeah. because I love his profile,
2: oh yeah, oh yeah, and he's he's there's you know of the big bat catchers that have come into the draft the last few years, you know thinking like Collins and some of those he is he's a legit catcher.
3: So he's he can actually play defense.
2: He he's before this year he was considered a draft prospect because of his catching and then this year his bat is really taken off. I don't know where the Braves would put him.
1: That's true because with Jackson and Cumberland and Contreras and and my boy Lucas Herbert of course yeah, you know, You're forgetting only, someone, Doc. There really Hold on. is only so much room.
3: Pause, pause, pause. You're forgetting one major player here.
1: <laughs> Slugbauer?
3: Yes, thank you. <laughs> Old
1: Slugbauer is not doing a whole lot of slugging this year.
3: Neither's Lucas Herbert, yeah. ever.
1: Hey, hey, he's a catcher. It does not matter if his ceiling is Jeff Mathis or A.J. Ellis. Clayton Kershaw throws to A.J. Ellis, okay? So... <laughs> Dude, those guys, he they...
3: He also hits place. better than A.J. Ellis.
1: But, you know,
2: they're... I don't know what they would do with a college guy like that. That's the issue. But the funny thing is, if they drafted a Will Banfield, that would make perfect sense. That's you know, true. He, yeah. You, you throw a catcher like that down in rookie ball, where he, you, know, you know it's going to take some time to develop. You got a guy like Contreras, who who's developed much faster than I think they expected... And probably is going to, you know, I would, I don't know if it'll be this year, but it wouldn't surprise me if in 2019, he jumps two levels, which is not typical for a catcher. Um, And you got Jackson, who's right on the precipice. You got Cumberland, who definitely is showing it with the bat. You know, you've got a bunch of depth right there. You got time for Banfield to become the catcher that, you know, with the bat that he can be now, Tremendous defensive already, defensively already for Banfield. but Not, I mean, the power is impressive. He doesn't get to it very well, and that would be the type of guy if you were going to target a catcher. Um, you know, as far as who would be there most likely, you know, I, I really think I, I have, I've seen him dropping this spring and i'm not i just i've seen enough out of him that he reminds me a lot of a guy that is up in double a with the braves but i really think nolan gorman is going to be a solid choice for the braves if he's there in their spot and a lot of me a lot of the thing so
3: much of riley Say so A lot of the thing about him is he's put on a ton of bad weight this year, and now yeah. the question is, can he even play third base?
2: Which, to be fair, was exactly the type of questions we heard about Austin Riley after his junior season of high school when he gained some bad weight, which is a big reason why a lot of people thought he was going to only be a pitcher. And so when he when the Braves said no we're going to keep him at third base well then they were willing to put up with okay we're going to trim off this bad weight and put up with <clears throat> you know legit below average defense for a couple of years and now he's i wouldn't say Austin right now is going to win you a go glove at third base but he's not going to hurt the team anymore he's made big
1: strides he he really oh, yeah. has
2: oh yeah and that's But that bat has taken, you know, has been everything that they thought it could be. Gorman is that type of a guy that I could see the Braves really believing they have the ability to mold. And especially, like we were talking about, there is that, they have that ability within the system right now. Because the system is so stacked, they have the ability to take time with somebody and work with them. And then see them jump multiple levels the way that Riley did once he kind of got it figured out last year. You know, he jumped up a couple of levels in the season.
3: And not to mention I with could, Gorman, it is a legit 70 to 75 power. Oh, I've seen plenty it, of people rank him as, as the number two power guy only behind Seth beer.
2: Well, and frankly, I, I love his name, but, um, Beer has not shown any ability to hit without aluminum.
3: And that's exactly what Jim, uh, what Jim Cowell said when we had him on the show. And
2: it's, it's just, it is like he is completely used. I mean, it's like you gave him a tennis racket and had him go swing at a baseball. It just looked like he is not used to swinging the implement in his hands when he is swinging a wood bat. I do not understand it. He he doesn't – he swings an aluminum bat, and that ball is in the middle of the barrel perfectly every time, and he's driving it well. He gets a wood bat, and he's on top of it or underneath every single ball.
1: I think that – I think a lot of people – if Seth Beer's name was like Seth Williams or, or Seth, <laughs> Seth <laughs> yep. Davis – people would not even bat an eye, but they're like, Oh, I, I want, you know, I don't want to get a customized Braves beer Jersey. Maybe we'll just draft the guy or whatever. Honestly, that's the same reason why I want Lucas Herbert to, to come to the major. So I don't have to customize a Herbert Jersey, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, if you look at his profile, I mean, his, his freshman year at Clemson was, was great. And, but he just, he hasn't been able to prove himself with, with wood and he's a, he's a 20 runner. He's got, basically no defensive range so if you're going to take a chance on a first base uh dh type knowing that coming out of college like sometimes you look at a guy like uh, Matt kemp is the first one that comes to mind but i mean
3: that's what i was thinking too
1: yeah i mean kemp can hit for power but you know that he's one of the greatest i know that you're never supposed to look in the comments section of, of any article ever <laughs> but uh, i did but i did see in uh i think it was t- a talking chop article Talking about how Matt Kemp is one half porcelain, one half oatmeal, and it was the funniest thing I, I'd ever read, and and very accurate. And uh, but it's it's a similar thing with beer. I mean, you're you're gambling on the bat, and even that is a is a big lottery ticket. So I, I'm I'm kind of I don't I don't really see the uh, the beer appeal as much.
3: Is he maybe a guy that is just so he has to uh, to compare it to basketball? I guess uh I would if I would if I'm going to try to make this comparison maybe a guy like Buddy Heald who has to tra- who trains so long and so many times to get good with exactly what he's doing so for example in college basketball a guy that that trains the college three so well that he'll shoot the three at a a 45 46% clip but then when he moves to the pro game, and it moves back a little bit, he can't hit the three anymore because that's not what he's trained on. Could that be yeah. any bit of what's going on with Beers that he's just, he's trained so long and so hard to to perfect his aluminum bat swing? Because you, you, you cannot swing the same with wood and aluminum. It does not allow, speaking for somebody who's done it, it does not allow for the same at all. You have to be much more conscious of your hands with a wood bat. Yeah. You have to be much more conscious yeah. of your plane. You
2: know, I once had a scout who uh, was talking about, we were talking about, you know, the, the, the white bear and, uh, and his, his, you know, wonderful, no batting gloves approach. And he told me that he would take guys at college that he was concerned about their approach, give them the same size and dimension wood bat and tell them to
3: drop the gloves. It makes a lot of sense because you'll know it when you hit it wrong. If you're not wearing any batting gloves with a wood bat, that hurts
2: because there's you, you get that aluminum removes a bit of vibration. You, whatever you've got for a bat wrap removes a bit of vibration. You got your gloves on, you lose a bit of vibration. Boy, in wood, you just don't lose all of that vibration and you take all of that away. Pretty soon you feel it, <laughs> you know it's it's all right there, and so, I mean, and you feel, frankly, you feel when you barrel it. Now, the thing is, it may actually hurt to barrel a ball for him, and that could actually be something that maybe it actually hurts his hands when he barrels a ball on a wood bat because it doesn't have the same type of padding for him as a an aluminum bat. Which, if that's the issue, then boy, we you know that that's not going to go then well he's for He's screwed.
3: Say he's screwed.
2: Yeah. But, you know, and the other thing with uh, that I that I like about the profile for Gorman is that 70 power is left-handed in Suntrust. Yeah. And I like, you know, right now in the game there is a push to find more right-handed power. <laughs> because so much of the power that has been developed has been left-handed. Then the Braves go and build a park that really maximizes left-handed power.
1: It's like it would be estimate. wise for
2: them to go against the grain and find those guys with 70, 80 power who are left-handed.
1: Now, as far as Gorman's hit tool, because the power the power is, is legitimate, and, mm-hmm. and it does show up in games too, but it, will his hit tool – allow him to, to have that be more of a supplement instead of it being a focus on yeah. his game. I like it. Uh, like a Joey Gallo type, you know,
2: I'll, <laughs> can I tell you in a week? Cause <laughs> this, this weekend is going to be really fun. Um, I think it's actually tomorrow night. He faces libertor.
1: Um, Oh, that's right. They're both out in Arizona. That's right. They are, so, they are showing down this week and they're
2: buddies. I mean, they're, they're, Pretty good buddies, but lefty on lefty, I want to see how that swing handles. And because he showed the ability to shorten up a little in the summer, but when it was time for the home run derbies and everything, oh my gosh, was that a long swing that you could not ever imagine working? Whereas, you know, a lot of guys in the home run derby, yeah, they add some loft and things, but their their swing is still, like, that, that swing will work. They're just doing some extra follow-through. They're doing some extra load ahead of it to maximize their power. His swing was long when he was trying to, to show out. And I'm curious what, he's, he knows there's going to be scouts there. He knows there's going to be eyes on that game. I'm kind of wondering how that swing looks against libertor this week. So I'm kind of curious to see how that looks when that comes up.
1: Now libertor libertor is really legit. He he was one of the first guys this this year we were talking about the the sample sizes finally finally being big enough to mean something. He mm-hmm. was one that that his stuff ticked up enough to where it's sample size really was not much of a concern for him. And and he went from You know, he's all of a sudden in in top 10 consideration where he was was a little bit on on the fringes of that before. But uh, but, yeah, he he really was the the first one to take that big step forward at the high school guys this year.
2: okay, you guys you guys want my quick Ian Anderson type of surprise out of nowhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Linares Torres uh New York High School righty uh has not gotten a ton of play cuz he plays in New York state slider that is a legit 9092 with wow. hard hard bite uh fast ball in the upper 90s and has actually thrown a legit changeup doesn't need it <laughs> Rarely ever uses it because when you can do that in high school, you don't need a changeup.
3: If I could throw a 90 mile an hour slider, I would never throw another pitch.
2: (laughs) But he has got, he put on some really good weight over the winter, or I guess really since showcase season, so fall and winter. And he's not the, he's not going to, be the tallest guy ever but he's he looks like he could handle a starter's workload now and that's the type of guy that i could see blowing up and suddenly
1: nobody sees him coming and he gets popped early if he can maintain any type of consistency like with all of the guys that have been of underperformed like some of the like we we talked about talked about uh at the very beginning just about guys that have some guys are jumping up because other guys are falling down it's not necessarily because anybody is is really showing out i mean at this time a couple years ago i mean you were the first one to uh to actually link ian anderson to the braves a couple years ago i think and uh and and torres is a new york guy like you said so and i never
2: thought he was the the guy at three you know i always heard yeah. you know he he was going to be paired with somebody but they were really strong on him well you know that that turned out to be their guy at 3 which you know boys i could see that i mean the braves the braves still have one of the most elite scouting departments out there that is one of the things that yes Copy was naughty. Copy was an a hole. We can say all those one, those things.
3: I think we can say he, that being the a hole was the worst. Was worse than being naughty because that's what got him busted.
2: Well, okay. He, he did a lot of things he shouldn't have. He put them on paper, which is what got him busted. You know, but that's a whole other thing. Um, don't put things on paper if you're going to do things that are illegal, kids. Let's just remember this. Um, but. They still have one of the most elite groups of scouts in the game. Most scouts would kill to be part of the brave staff. That's still a thing. They scout every corner of the country tremendously well. And one of their, one of the scouts that is still strong and is still in the brave system happens to be up in the Northeast And I don't believe he was the original scout on Anderson Um, and not the guy who told me anything about Anderson, but, um, you know, sure he was the guy who was having to do some cross-checking on Anderson and he, he works up in that area. They still have a very, very good presence up in the Northeast. There's a legit scouting presence there. Not would not surprise me at all to find out that they, they pop a
1: guy like Torres. And for for cold weather players, I mean the for pitchers, I think it's so much more. You can see the stuff a lot more for for a pitcher than you than you can for a, for a batter, you know, because you're you're dealing with so many more so many more tools. You know, you want to see the yeah. defense, you want to see the speed. It's harder to pick stuff like that out when it's twenty five. But you know, guys that are guys like Ian Anderson, guys like Torres the the lower mileage arms even even Sean Newcomb he was he was out of Massachusetts yep. and so so you're almost more apt to protect a guy's arm like that as opposed to as opposed to a position player but yep. a posi- a position player who is from cold weather that I'm really interested in and I you I know that this is another one of your guys you you mentioned Libertor you mentioned Gorman and Jared Kelman out of Wisconsin
2: yep. And yeah, he's, he's fun. (laughs) He's really fun. (laughs) I like, I like his video. He's, he's one of those guys that legit has, has multiple seventies that scouts talk about. And that's not normal in high school and not, you know, a lot of times if you see two seventies on a guy, it's because he's got 70 speed and 70 defense Because typically for an outfielder, that can translate. You know, if you got 70 speed, more than likely you're going to play really good defense. So he's got a 70 arm. He's got he's got the some guys who will put a 70 on his defense. He definitely has a 65 70, you know, speed tool, and then he can still crush a baseball this year. He had never done that really before. But there's a lot of people who are putting plus grades on his power now, too. Holy crud, is that a
3: profile. And I haven't watched a lot of him. Is he kind of reminiscent of Kirilov?
2: I I wouldn't say that because Kirilov doesn't have that speed. Um, you know, what I actually, and, and I made this comp, or, when I was talking with Doc about him a little bit, he's to me he's kinda like a guy that I fell in love with a little bit right away last year in Joe Adele.
3: Okay. Um, I'm uh, sign well, me up, Joe Adele. Sign uh, me up. Joe Adele is one of my favorite prospects. But
2: instead of whereas Adele to me had that legit you could argue was a seventy to maybe more raw power tool just flipped the power and speed of Adele with Kelinek. And there's, that's the profile right there. Um, just shows out every game and just, you know, and whereas Adele would make these tremendous plays with his speed, but it, you knew it wasn't his, his primary tool as athletic as he was. That was not his primary tool in the game of baseball. Kelinek, before this year, power was not his primary tool, but he is now crushing baseballs at the plate. And when he gets one in between two outfielders, I, there was a one video that someone sent me where he hit a ball between two outfielders and basically caused, they knew of his speed. He was at second before the ball hit the wall. Um, the guy busted it out of it. I mean, he knew he had hit it well and busted it. Hits second bases. This ball basically hits the wall, and the kid knew he had to hurry in order to even have a play. And because he was just in too much of a rush, slipped and fell. He got inside the Parker. The ball never got back to the infield before he got home. Oh, my God. You know, because, well, I mean, because the kid fell. Otherwise, you know, there would have been a legit, at least the throw would have gotten in, but. Holy cow!
3: You know. Now we've been talking some
1: some videos of Kellenic's defense too. I think it was the area code games last year where he just ranged. He was playing playing center, I think, and he ranged as far to his left as humanly possible and dove out for like a Superman catch. I mean, this is a 17 year old kid at the time who is just given the body.
2: He has some incredible natural instincts with his speed um both both on the bases and on defense and you know there are a lot of guys who have those and then they have a they have an above average arm and that plays up because they can get to balls that nobody else can you know you can make an argument that he has at least a 70 arm so he can get to balls. Nobody else can. Then he can get up and he can launch a baseball back into the field or back towards the the infield that could possibly nail a runner because they would have taken off thinking nobody can get to that ball. That's kind of an incredible combination to have for just even defensively, let alone what he can do on offense. So it'll be fun to see, you know, the thing is he's just starting a season. And Wisconsin just got the same stinking snowstorm I survived through. So they just dealt with 20 inches of snow and everything else. Um, So there are plenty of games that got canceled around that area. And so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of scouts who missed a watch on him in the last couple of weeks or last week or so. But he's, he's a guy that is just, Yeah, the tools are just really, really, really loud. I don't know that he makes it to the Braves. There's I really if he is still on the board when the Braves pick, something has gone wrong between right now and the draft.
1: Man, that was so much time that was spent. Like I was already excited about him. And then I got even more <laughs> excited, and then you had to—you stole it. You stole it
2: from. I'm you. sorry, but I mean it, it is what it is. You know. No, I mean,
1: no, it's it's true. I mean, and there's in previous years when they, they picked third with Anderson and fifth with Wright, they almost they had the luxury of almost kind of doing what they want, but they are at the mercy of of a couple of teams that are ahead of them now. So
3: you Absolutely. could be right,
1: yeah. but and we we talked about this before before we even started recording. About how with the bonus pools, and it's not always going to nece- necessarily be the best guy goes first, the second best guy goes second. Thing weird things happen on draft day. Kyle Wright Absolutely. was not supposed to fall to the Braves at five, so you never know. Yeah. Now th- this is the sound of me talking to myself into so are gonna be <laughs> Draft Kellenick. It- everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, mm-hmm.
2: I would I would be very happy with that. I think that could be very very. I, yeah, I think I think Braves fans would enjoy that. I think just okay. Imagine a guy with that kind of defensive profile, and then putting him in the outfield with Acuna and Pache.
3: I was about to say, you think about that with that profile you're talking about, and he may be the third best outfielder when he gets to Atlanta.
2: That's crazy. <laughs> what? <laughs>
3: <laughs> now, we've spent a ton of time on the draft prospects. I do want to talk about some of the prospects in the Brave system, and we very yep. lightly touched on them when we were talking about some some targets. So I do have a few guys I want to talk about, and we, we brought up the catchers when we were talking about Bart and Banfield. So I do want to talk about a couple in particular. We mentioned Wilson uh, William Contreras, who yep. is one of my favorite prospects in all of the Brave system. You talked about he could be a two-level riser, maybe not this year but next year i think it says a lot that the Braves had him in spring training this year this early and not somebody oh, yeah. not somebody else even though even if they were saying they just needed somebody to catch somebody contreras is the most balanced catcher in the entire system when you talk about offensive oh, yeah. profile defense arm strength and everything else He's not on Lucas Herbert's level defensively, which, Doc, I know you'll (laughs) love hearing. Um, Thank you. But he hits circles around Lucas with his eyes closed. He's not on the offensive level of a Cumberland or a Jackson, and probably not a Lugbauer, but he is an actual catcher. And he's got, I think he's probably got the best pop time and the best arm of the catchers. Um, He'd be right there with Lucas. I think he's probably a little bit better and cleaner on the pop and release than Lucas, but that's just me. Uh, how fast? And out of out of all the Braves, I've said that Contreras is most likely to be the catcher of the future. If you, who would you say? Would you would you go Jackson or would you go Contreras or or somebody else that I didn't even mention? Oh, I'm, I'm the wrong guy. To, I
2: I've I think I had Contreras in my top top forty prospects maybe two years ago. Um, when he was just coming out of the DSL, based on the the, re- the reviews I got from folks down there, uh, everything was legit, and everything since has been exactly what I was hearing. And he is—he is—I mean—he's shown out every single thing that I've I've heard about him. He's done better the next year, and. Th- the fanboy in me wanted to put him in my top ten because i I really like him, but I also realized that legitimately it's kind of tough to put him in there over like Ian anderson you know that that's just realistically, a guy like Ian Anderson's profile has the ability to be a star as a pitcher. Whereas I think Contreras, if you were to ask me to give you a former brave catcher that he, he profiles closest to, it may depress some people, but I really think he has a very, just a hair above a Johnny Estrada profile.
3: Okay, you just brought me way down.
2: <laughs> okay, but what what folks don't now. I think he's a much better defender than Estrada was. However, I think folks also forget Estrada wasn't a bad offensive catcher. We were just spoiled by McCann and by Lopez. And so when there was a guy who was just going to hit 280 with you know, 20 doubles and 10 bombs, that wasn't so impressive anymore compared to getting 25 to 30 bombs out of your catcher.
3: Oh, I'm looking at him being his brother or better.
2: I think he's going to be a more balanced catcher behind the plate than his brother is. I think his brother has louder single tools. I think William's going to be a guy who's going to hit for probably a better average than his brother ever does. He's going to definitely have a better on base. And I think overall his defensive profile is better. I don't think he's got the arm that Wilson does or the legit, like the raw power. But I think, like I said, I think as far as the balanced overall profile, there's a whole lot of 55s there. Whereas Wilson has, you know, when, frankly, before he broke out in A, there's basically, uh, you got a 65 arm, you got a 55 power, and you got a lot of 35s and 40s on Wilson before he really broke out. William may not have a single tool that's a plus, but he's got a lot of really good above average. And I think that's when you bring in really positive framing on top of that, which is something he's still learning, that's a really, really good catcher. And, you know, for instance, Jonathan Lucroy is in that same
3: I didn't want to say Lucroy because I didn't want to jump into crazy end because people remember the couple years where Lucroy was a legitimate 25 (laughs) to 30 home run type of guy hitting 280, 285.
2: But look at the balance of his career where he was a high average, high on base, and hitting for mostly doubles and 10 to 15 home runs-ish. That's that type of profile, and I think he, that's Contreras, and that could be a, I mean, you get that. Heck, look at how valuable the Braves catchers were last year because of their defense, just because they provided anything on offense. You know, that – Tyler Flowers' defense is rated at such a high level that because he actually brought some even legit offense – he was one of the highest rated per at bat catchers in the major leagues last year and i you know, as far as you know the the war per at bat or the somebody was pulling this statistic up for me that the war per at bat for flowers was like the second best of all catchers in baseball last year
3: sticking with the that? catchers that's really really good uh, if you could and that's that was not to go too crazy off that topic, but that was I actually have said before that I think Suzuki is much more likely to repeat his value this season than Flowers because that was just so out of nowhere for Flowers offensively. Uh, offensively, yeah. As when he came up with the Braves, the story on Flowers was big time power if he can connect with the ball, and that was the story for the large portion of his career. Except for the power never showed up. It was he can't hit the ball and he doesn't really hit it out. Last year he he turned it around where there wasn't a lot of power per his swing, but when you hit 282 and you're one of the better pitch framers around as a catcher working with a young staff that was amazingly talented. That was amazingly valuable. Yeah.
2: Yep. And and he's the the framing is going to be there. And that's where I think Contreras, they have the Braves have shown a very very strong dedication to teaching framing and presenting and essentially that do not bail out on your pitcher for their catchers. You know, the, okay, I understand the guy's running to second, but make sure you get the strike
1: and then throw to second. I believe and, a re- rebuild that's built around pitching, that's that's so crucial.
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, because as one of the funniest, you know, the funniest things that uh, someone ever – Old Greg Maddox in an interview was, "Do you realize how many people stole second base on you?" I said, "No, I just got the guy at the plate out." Or so. I mean, it was something to that effect. Like,
3: right, he was more I pissed that work. the guy got to first.
2: You know, yeah, he was pissed off. He's like, "I didn't want to think about that guy anymore. I just focused on getting the next one out." And for the Braves, what they wanted their catchers to do is, okay, catch the ball, make sure that you're giving that guy the best chance to get a strike. Then do everything you can to get the, the out at second base. That might mean that their pitchers throw over a ton more. That might mean that, you know, they do some different things with, you know, Ozzie or Dansby dancing behind somebody at second base that's leading off stuff like that to keep them close to a bag. But that's what a good team does around helping their catcher do the best thing for the pitcher.
3: Now, we're both big uh, Lugbauer fans, and actually, I like to take credit for the Slugbauer thing, but that was actually Doc. <laughs> Doc is actually the first person I ever saw with that. Uh,
2: uh, I, I will I will tell you that that was a big thing at Michigan.
3: Well, no, yeah. we don't recognize Michigan here, uh, so <laughs> for, for the place where it counts, it's Doc's. Um, what could, Now, I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big Lugbauer fan. I love his offense. I love his, his hit tool. And I like that he may not be a good defender anywhere, but I like that he's versatile enough for you to keep his bat in the lineup. What do you yep. see as Lugbauer's potential? Because I thought they were going to move him to the outfield, kind of what I expect him to do with Brett Cumberland. But the Braves seem determined to keep him as a catcher for as long as possible.
2: You know, they did the same thing with Cumberland last year, though. Is they gave him a legit full year where the only thing he was doing other than DHing was playing catcher, and I think there's some there's some intelligence behind that because if you think about the way a big league bench is made up anymore, if if Lugbauer is able to play, I don't know if he'll be able to play third at the major league level, but if he's play, able to play first left and right. And catch a little bit. Essentially, your your Evan Gattis profile. That's a, that's a legit bench piece that is very valuable in the short benches in the modern game. Um, I do not know that he's got enough defense to be a defender anywhere. Um, and the big thing for him is going to be just controlling the zone. Um, he. He can get a little bit pole happy and power happy. Like right now. Expand his zone trying to crush anything. Well, you know, most really good hitters crush pitches in a particular zone, and he needs to, you know, make sure he's focusing on hitting in that zone.
3: And Doc has a note written right now. Uh, Thirty-nine and a half percent strikeout percentage, as opposed to yeah, a four-point-seven walk percentage. Uh, he didn't have this type of problems last year. I wonder, is it? Do you think it's? I think it's more pressing. Would be what I would say that he's trying a little too hard right now. He's trying to to crush the ball a little bit too much right now, as opposed to when he first when they when he first got drafted, as that eleventh round pick, and he was more just going out there and hitting, and that's when he was kind of shocking everybody. Uh, I I think he'll turn that around. But I, I'd, I'd be more interested. What do you think?
2: <clears throat> well, I can tell you just I am intending to have a fun article come out that I know will get a lot of Braves Twitter really happy um, because a lot of Braves Twitter is really happy with me when I put out an article saying that, hey, I've watched Acuna. I don't think he's doing so well. And everyone's but like, no, oh, he's... Proved it in spring. Bring him up. Okay. I have watched a lot of Ronald Acuna. I've seen a lot of what Ronald Acuna has done over his career, and it was a little more than just pressing. With Lugbauer, um, now I'll I'll admit I've seen just one of Rome's games so far, uh, but got to watch him hit, and frankly, it wasn't against pitchers that he should have – Struggled with, struggled with whether or not their stuff was in the zone. Let's put it that way. And he just wasn't getting it. And that, to me, along the lines with the that is, there's a little more than pressing there. Um, but. For him, it's so much more the zone. He is seeing the pitches. He is going with a curve. But he's just expanding his zone so far, he's going beyond what his bat can actually get to. Acuna's big deal was he wasn't recognizing 98 out of the hand versus an 86 change versus an 82 slider from the same pitcher in the same arm slot. And that was something that he had overcome. And now watching him the last two games, Acuna has done tremendously better in all of that. So that is what my article shall say is, hey, Braves fans, rejoice. He is looking lots, lots better. Small sample sizes, yay. Um, so, but, so I think that's, for him, he is definitely, with Lebar, there's, Lugbar, there's a lot more of the pressing, than with to me, than what you saw with Acuna. Acuna, there was actually legit some stuff where he wasn't picking up the pitches right to open the season. Lugbar is just trying to expand his zone quite a bit. Um, the biggest thing he seems to be struggling with is basically a change versus a slider. And that's not terribly uncommon for someone in their first full pro season.
3: Well, going from a prospect that's kind of struggling, I'm going to throw a bone to one of our good friends, Josh Brown. Um, for the first time ever on any recording, I'm going to talk about Tyler Mislone, Uh <laughs> the pony, as he's coming to be known. Now, he is such a—I don't want to sound—I don't want this to sound mean, but he is the most unassuming type of of baseball player. He's not athletic. He's not fast. He's not particularly big or strong, but he is absolutely raking above expectations right now. And he's played a little bit better defense than I expected. He's actually got a couple assists already on the year, I believe. He was tearing it up during the uh was it the AFL? He he did a very a very good job there too. Uh he is on fire right now in double A. And Josh made this comparison, I thought he kinda made it jokingly, of a Nick Swisher. Because his defense is horrible normally, but I'm I'm I don't want him to get a big head on this, but I'm kind of seeing it with Nizloney. I don't think he's got. I I think Nizloney would be at best kind of a a hold the spot for somebody else in the Brave system because I I I don't think he's a guy that will need a ton more seasoning. I also don't think he has the upside of a lot of your other guys in the system. Um, but what do you think about Tyler Neslonis? Is he starting to to get into that Dustin Peterson realm of this guy could actually start for a team?
2: I think he is going to be the best chip that they have when the Mariners have something good. Because he the Mariners have about 30 Tyler Neslonis. <laughs> <laughs> and Jerry Topoto seems to like to give whatever they have good to the Braves, so I think that that will work out really, really well for the Braves. No, in all seriousness, he, I, I just don't get where he's going to fit on a baseball field. Um, at
3: least in, unless the National League gets the DH, and no, um, does but, he have the power for a DH? cuz that's what i see. I don't see I don't see a guy that excels at anything. Like I don't see a A carrying tool with him other than maybe a hit tool. He's like a mar and This is also going to sound bad, but he's and this is going to really piss off Josh, which kind of makes it worth it. He's like a little bit of a of a lesser Nick Markakis because he's when Markakis came into the league, he was he was fairly <laughs> athletic, really strong arm, uh good defense as well. Now, Nisloani has kind of the same type of hit tool where he's able to make a lot of contact and and reach base a lot. But defensively, he's like, he's like if you combine Nick Swisher and Nick Marcakis' offensive and defensive profiles.
2: You want to know who he's, who he's really similar to um, that is kind of just getting his feet wet in the major leagues is Jesse Winker um, with the Cincinnati Reds. Really? Winker, Winker has basically no arm, um, has the instincts of about an 88-year-old woman, Playing defense. <laughs> um, however, uh, one thing he does have over over Nesvorny is he is probably a legit four hundred on base guy when he walks out of you know the shower in the morning. He is, he just he's he can do that without even trying. It seems, but I don't know if he's if there's twenty home runs in his bat. I mean, he's a you know that, but. Here's the deal. That, it was his profile coming up. Winker got up to the majors last year, got an extended run, and knocked out six in something like 40 games. The thing that is difficult right now in the minor leagues to judge power-wise is these guys who have solid line drive swings get to the major leagues and, you know, the, the not-juiced ball, Mr. Manfred, uh, seems to fly out a whole lot better for them, and a guy like Nesloni is the type that I could see getting to the majors, and because he makes solid, hard line drive contact everywhere, he could be a guy that I don't I don't see him having the same type of walk rate that that Winker does, but I could see him hitting for a legit, you know, two seventy or better average and certainly with some doubles and home runs. I think he and Winker could have a good, good competition for the lowest defensive war in the league each year, if they were both playing outfield though. So, you know, that, that would be the difficulty, but he is, you know, Winker's got, A starting job in Cincinnati, of course, you know, Cincinnati just fired their manager. So, you know, there is that, you know,
1: but they, they, uh, Cincinnati has had a really rough go of it. Their, uh, their rebuild is almost in danger of stalling out. They've got some great talent in their system, but they, they're, they have got Votto and a whole lot of nothing kind of, you know, they've got Sinzel, they've got Taylor Trammell, Hey, Eugenio and,
3: Suarez, sir.
1: And, and Eugenio, Eugenio Suarez, okay, okay, but they're in the same division with the Cubs. They're in the same division with the Brewers, with the Cardinals. Even the Pirates are looking better than, than everybody thought. So, I don't know. And,
2: you know, they have the Dusty Baker curse. Everything yeah. – we look this up. Every single team after Dusty Baker left it, the next manager – Either had incredibly embarrassing things happen to him, or left the team in shame, or both. I mean, Felipe Alou in San Francisco lost to the Marlins on their way to winning a freaking World Series. That's that's embarrassing, people. You don't lose to the Marlins.
1: Oh shit!
2: Oh, you know that have unless you have an umpire helping to call games for you, you don't lose Eric, to the Marlins. Eric um and you don't you had Lou Panella, who basically he took two Cubs teams that were absolutely stacked and couldn't get out of the first round of the playoffs and then Brian Price took over the Reds and took a ninety win team, basically got the same roster and won seventy six with them um so Good luck, Dave Martinez.
1: I was just gonna say that bodes really well for uh, for whatever's going on in Washington right now. Yep. But I uh, but I tell you what, there's there's one more one more prospect that I wanted to kind of get your feedback on, and then we uh, want to go to the, the actual non-baseball segment and yeah. wrap it up. But Jaseel De La Cruz, okay? When <laughs> you when you did your top hundred, you had him ranked at 64. And and this is – he's got 14 innings pitched this year, so it's still a pretty pretty tiny sample size. But as of right now, he's got a 0.64 ERA, uh, 242 FIP, 10.3 uh, K per nine, and under three walks per nine. If you had it to do over again, where – approximately where would you put him?
2: Well – I bumped him, he was number 60 in the first version I did that still had all of the guys before everything happened. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I want to say, I would have to go back and look who all jumped him, but guys like Yoli Lopez, uh, Adam McCreary, I know those two are two that for sure got some positive reports in between. Obviously Cade Savik is above him. He wouldn't have to worry about him anymore. Right. Um uh but there's you know some guys on here that definitely eh, hes probably he'd be in that probably in that thirty to fifty range, but there, boy there there's just a slug of guys right there that on a Monday, I might arrange him one way, and he'd be in the 30 to 40, and on a Tuesday, he'd be in the 40 to 50. So there's just a lot of guys at his level of talent. Um, when I originally wrote him up in in the fall, what I said is he has a very similar uh, – Braves fans are going to recognize his delivery because they have seen Mauricio Cabrera. that is the way his arm slot works. However, he is, he understands how his arm slot works. Well, Mauricio never understood that from his arm slot, his fastball is extremely exposed. So he can't throw 78% fastballs and get away with it. Um, and you must control those fastballs. He never figured that part out and still for some reason, hasn't, um, De La Cruz has figured out that from that arm slot, the best pitch to pair with that is a really good sweeping slider, which his is wicked. Um, so he, he can legit get up to 96, 97. I've seen some reports that he's hit 98, 99 in short stints. That would be incredible to me um, because he's usually sitting more like 92, 93. So a 92, 93, touching 96, 97, that's not too far off. But if a guy can hold back a 99 and he's sitting 92, 93, that's a lot of arm strength he's holding back on. Um, but he's, his slider is a legit weapon. I had written down in the fall that I I still saw him as a reliever profile simply because he was struggling to repeat his delivery, and especially his arm slot. Um, it's that low three-quarters, high sidearm type of arm slot like Fabrera used where he was slinging the fastball at 103, you know, but where it's just the arm is out there for slow for so long, and it is – just you know, it's just below three quarter, it's below three quarters and so it's out there and it's you've got to have a really good ability to repeat that that spot if you have a different arm slot for each pitch. Because your arm is so exposed to hitters when you hold it out there that long. So if you have just a slightly different arm slot for your changeup and a slightly different arm slot for your slider, they're going to just pick up on that. And you won't get very far as a starter when you have that kind of arm slot giveaway. Um, He has really cleaned that up. I watched his last start. I think it was his last start that I went back and watched on um, MLB TV. And he's really cleaned that up this year. He's got a little bit of deception. The way that he, I mean, just that arm out there that long. Kind of, it's, it's kind of like the fish with the little light out in front of you where you're so you're paying so much attention to that thing way out there. You don't realize that it's about ready to snap and you just pay attention to this arm dangling way out here. And he's gotten really good at, shortening up and quickening his delivery. So all of a sudden that arm is snapping towards the plate and their hitters aren't have kind of just gotten mesmerized by the way that arm long arm action is working, but they're just not ready for it. And so even, you know, even though 95 is going to play up, you know, 96 is going to play up no matter where you're at. It really plays up when there's even just a touch of deception to it. Right. Um, and he's, Now, the last start, what you did see is he was struggling just a touch with that arm slide. And there were, I think, three walks, two or three walks in that last start that he had. Still very, very difficult to barrel up his ball. But when he's putting guys on base against himself, pretty soon he's got to, you know, he can, unlike Mauricio, who will just keep throwing the ball wherever he wants to throw the ball seal t- does actually try to get the ball into the strike zone and he ends up starting to aim it just to touch. And with that long exposure to his arm slot, here's get a really good look at the ball coming to them. And so once he gets a few guys on, he can get hit pretty hard because he's trained to get that ball in the zone and they get a really good look at it. So he's, he is the guy, but he's, I put him on, I did a list of, you know, minor leaguers you should be paying attention to that aren't, you know, on top 100 lists or anything like that. And I had somebody say, oh, great, another Braves arm that I need to pay attention to. (laughs) And I said, you know, legitimate? Yeah, it is, because he's got, I would say right now, if you wanted to just put him in the bullpen, he'd be that type of guy who could push up in a real hurry up the system. But if he can even develop some semblance of a changeup, he's got that type of, I mean, frankly, he's got Luis Kohara type of upside from the right-hand side. I was not expecting you to say that. Because the slider, when it is on its game, is at that level of difficulty to hit. Now, it is not at that velocity. O'Hara's slider has velocity plus the difficulty in trying to get the break. But also the other issue you run into there is there are a lot of guys who do that from the right-hand side and will never, ever be a starter. You can do that from the left-hand side. Like Louise, you can be a starter. There's just that difference in, you know, fathers, teachers, children – to throw left-handed. That's just, you know, there is a thing. It's much more difficult to pick up certain things from the left-hand side. And that's, for legit, that same profile that Luis Guarra has, if he was right-handed, he would have a tough time being a starter.
1: Well, you know, one thing that I that I have asked my my wife to do is, uh, when the time comes for us to have kids, to please bear me a left handed child, and I will teach you <laughs> how to how to throw a curveball, That um, and but, punt, right.
2: Teach them how to punt and throw a curveball left
1: handed. You know, you'll make money somewhere. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll then you know one thing that one thing that we like to do we we always like to throw a couple of non baseball questions your way. Um, yep. As it turns out, we are, we are going to give you just kind of a short, short little version of this because we have um, I think we're sitting at about an hour and 45 minutes now. So if anybody's <laughs> if anybody's still listening, then this is a this is an added bonus. But uh, so <laughs> th- three questions uh, specific to you and one that we we're starting to ask everyone. So okay. the first, first question is, who had a bigger cultural impact, in your opinion, Prince or David Bowie?
2: Man I I have to go with Prince just because I've been at his place I've gotten to see him perform in person and um, at his home
1: Oh Paisley and, Park
2: yes and witness the man basically moving instrument to instrument to instrument and being the best musician on the stage at every instrument he played
3: might be the best musician in like the last 50 years. He might be the best musician Uh ever. He could play literally every instrument.
2: And, you know, I, I think I might've, you know, growing up in, I was born in 79. I grew up through, through the eighties when he was, you know, in his heyday, as far as pop music was concerned. It wasn't until I got into college that I actually realized Some of the voices on his songs were him because (laughs) I knew it was him singing. I didn't realize it was he could do both singing that he was doing, like the high singing and the low singing he can do. His range was incredible. The musicianship he had was incredible. I mean, the guy can play classical guitar, Spanish guitar, and then he comes out and plays rock guitar. And you're just like, who can... Who has that kind of ability? I mean that's just ridiculous, so yeah, it's just he, i I would say prince I, so
1: okay, okay i actually I would have actually said Bowie, and you'd have been the wrong. the reason that i think I think without Bowie, Prince has a harder road to what he became because Bowie yeah. like when when Prince was being prince, he was. It was a little more acceptable to be prince but when bowie was being bowie nobody was being bowie you know what i mean so that he paved the the way for that level of weirdness even if prince never got as weird as bowie got
2: though i will say i i put this up every year at christmas time i put up a a thing around advent of a christmas song every day out on my facebook page i put up one with david bowie and bing crosby singing together
1: that's amazing
2: if there is a more, and it was like part of a Bing Crosby special. So there's like a little dialogue lead in where really <laughs> David Bowie is the new neighbor and comes over and they start singing a song and oh my God, it is, it is amazing. Yeah. it's, it's <laughs> So if you want to just look that up, look like David Bowie and Bing Crosby and yeah, it's it's worth your time. It's,
1: it's amazing. No, that's awesome. That sounds great. But, uh, okay, so, so next question. Um, jelly beans. Like, when, when you eat jelly beans, um, do you eat, like, small portions at a time, like, one at a time? Or do you eat, like, handfuls of jelly beans?
2: So, what I do is I take – and for one, for me, it is almost always starburst jelly beans. Always. Yeah. And, and then I sort them by color. I like. And I save the green to very last.
3: Save the best for last. I like the red for last, but I I like what you're doing right now.
2: And then I go
3: one flavor at a
2: time. And it depends on what kind of what I'm doing. If I'm eating while I'm working on something, um, I'm more than likely going to shove all of a color (laughs) into my mouth and then work. (laughs) If I'm, eating while I'm like watching TV or not doing anything that really requires my hands, I'll probably eat them more one of a time, one at a time.
1: Fair enough. Well, in the, in the Starburst, it's the, that's, it's a lot easier to do it like that, but I I made the mistake of trying to do it with a handful of jelly bellies once and it's like, Ooh, here's here's a cherry one. And then this one's like popcorn and and black licorice (laughs) all all together. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's that's bad news. You got to be careful. But, but Starburst ones are amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, third third question: If I handed you a Rubik's cube, how long would it take you to solve? I,
2: the good Lord, blessed me with a mind that loves the game of baseball, but hands that were definitely made to play offensive lines. including fingers fingers that i think i when i play piano i quite literally cannot put my fingers in between black keys as i'm moving quickly that is how thick my the tips of my fingers are and so uh it is the dexterity to move a Rubik's cube drives me bonkers enough by the time I try to get it anywhere. I just, I, I just say there are many more things I would rather do with my hands than try to deal with that. So, so I, it, it would probably take about 10 minutes before it broke into a million pieces on the other side of the room. <laughs>
1: That's that is the efficient way to do it.
3: Just take the stickers off.
2: I would say that, or I would remove the stickers.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, we've well, reached okay, critical so, mass. So
1: one one last question, and then and then we will we will let you get out of here. Dylan and I have an ongoing feud about a certain uh, revenge film, uh, mm-hmm. Boondock Saints. Good movie, bad movie. Tell this
2: the is, truth. Okay. Gotta get this right. so I've been I will tell you, I actually tried to watch this with my teenager just as a prep for the show. <laughs> After listening to the last couple of episodes, I'm like, I'm gonna try and watch
3: it. Oh no, not the not the T V show, the movie.
2: No, no, I'm I'm talking about the movie. I tried oh, to no. like pull this up on Amazon Prime and watch it and um I don't know that I can go to either direction. It's a very watchable movie. Yes. It is, not, it is not a movie that I would pay on Netflix or pay on Amazon Prime rent. If it is free on Amazon Prime, great.
3: That counts as a win, Doc, because it is free on a whole lot of places. He said it was watchable. <laughs> Two to one you me. Never it. But never it, said it was good.
2: It, it is a watchable movie. It is not one that I, you know, it's not, if I were to pick out my movie for the night, that probably wouldn't be it. But if it was on and I'm flipping through channels, I'm probably not going to be, and, and I'm bored enough. I'm probably not going to be disappointed to put my
1: laptop in
2: my lap and have that on in the background.
1: So this is, this is interesting. This is uh, a couple weeks ago. We had prospects braves. He said it was bad. Last week, we had Jason Waddell. He said it was good, and you seem to be somewhere in the middle. So we have actually, after three weeks of doing this, we got a split vote. You're so,
3: <laughs> Yeah. I'm just saying, he, he said he'd be no, willing to so listen good. to it. He that's said he would watch it for free. I think that that's more of a win on my side.
1: And then, ironically, I'm, I'm scoring it as a win on mine. So, so let's he, say this. I, I'm sorry. I'm rounding. I'm, would, I'm rounding up.
3: Would you rather watch Boondock Saints or White Chicks?
1: Uh, oh, always, uh, God. Oh.
2: That's like, would you rather take a drink of, you know, straight, you know, mortar oil or would you rather just eat dirt? Well, <laughs> I don't know. The dirt probably isn't going to kill me. So maybe the dirt.
3: <laughs> you know, but, know. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So we'll, well shelve man. that at a one, one, and one right now. Um, as Doc said, we are way up against the time here. So for those of you that made it to the end of this episode, congratulations. We love you very much. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) leave us, leave us a rating. Make sure you're following us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on CastBox and all the others. Uh, you can follow us along on Twitter at TPS underscore podcast. You can follow, make sure you're following Ben. Ben, what is your Twitter handle again? It is big, gentle Ben, all at one word or all one word. Make sure you're following him on at call, uh, all of his work on Call to the Pen. Do you have anything else you're working on, Ben? How uh, how many articles can we can we expect from you in the next say oh two weeks?
2: Oh, I'm well. I'm finishing up right now. I'm doing a position top ten uh, for all the rankings, and I'm finishing that up this weekend. Uh, I think the last one the Braves fans are going to very much like because it's left handed pitchers. Um and that's a very good one.
3: With my boy Joey Wentz. Fans.
2: Um and I just got inspired a little bit today in looking at a few things to kinda do a a review of Mauer and Sabathia and where they sit, seeing as essentially both of them are over the last about forty years are very, very high up on Various different, you know, war and hits and all these things. And I don't think a lot of people really think about them as being elite, but they really kind of have been and should maybe be considered there. Um, but that's those things. And then I'm kind of trying to figure out a way to get a few scouting reports out on some players. And, um, you know, I really wish Florida was on. MILB TV because, gosh, I want to see Bryce Wilson. That's one that I really want to do. But that's that's what I'm working on. Is trying to get some scouting reports out, doing some, do, finishing up to my top tens. So, and then first mock draft is going to come out on the 30th of April.
3: All right, everyone, make sure you're you're highlighting that date. I will be highlighting that so I can start spouting off and and acting like I know stuff, even though I will be unabashedly stealing. <laughs> when I'm talking to other people. With that said, I'd like to thank our guest, Ben Chase, for joining us again tonight. Everybody out there, have a great night. We'll catch you guys next week on the Platinum Sombrero.
1: You may find a cushy job And I hope that you go far If you really want to taste some cool success get than to play guitar Play guitar Play guitar Play guitar Oh yeah Play guitar Play guitar
2: Play guitar Oh yeah
1: okay, thanks,
0: bye Mother's Day is almost here